0: bat force radio bat force radio is rated m for mature or should that be immature
1: hey guys dustin Went. hey this is scott snyder this is paul dini and you're listening to bat force radio
2: and you're listening to bat force radio I'm listening to bat force radio this is kevin conroy the voice of batman and you're listening to bat force radio so stay tuned
0: Welcome back to Batforce Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. This week we are joined by Batforce Tom in California. Howdy, Legends of Lego Batman, also in California. Oh, cheers. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada and this week's guest is an author and illustrator of comics like Bloody Hell and Dead Meat co-host of the Bat-Ass Batman the Animated Series podcast along with Sean Murphy, and also the author of the upcoming two-issue Red Hood story as part of the Batman Beyond the White Knight uh, miniseries. Welcome for the first time to the show, Mr. Clay McCormick.
2: Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, yeah. I'm uh, I'm impressed that you went all the way back to Dead Meat. I mean, there's not too many other things to to grab my name off of, actually, but... <laughs> cool stuff, though. And uh, I, I do like that with Bloody Hell,
0: you... I uh, went back to uh, some of the dead meat roots a little bit there
2: oh yes, with, yeah with no i um <clears throat> i I got my start doing uh, uh horror and and zombie stuff, so um it was only it was only fair that i I pay some tribute in my World War I Viking book and have zombies show up at a certain point so yeah and we're, we're going to get into lots of that and introduce Bloody hell to anyone who
0: may not already know it, but uh first of all, uh how are things on your end?
2: Good, good. Um, keeping busy, which is nice. Um, you know, I've got this Red Hood book coming out soon that you, that you mentioned. So that's uh, been doing a little bit of uh, uh, pre-press for that stuff, which has been fun. And uh, working on some new stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, just uh, kind of keeping at it.
0: Awesome, awesome. So I would like to start off with sort of your own origin story. Uh, like, what got you into not only comics, but into art? Like, did you have a moment somewhere in childhood where there was a thing? Obviously, you were a Batman the Animated Series fan, and now mm-hmm. you guys are mm-hmm. going into uh, Batman Beyond for that podcast. But was there a thing, like, in your childhood that you remember seeing a, a comic or a piece of art that made you think, that's what I want to do? Um,
2: you know, it's funny, because I don't, I don't remember specifically what set me down the path. But I do actually remember and I think I still have the first comic book I ever owned uh that was given to me by a cousin of mine. It was an issue of Nexus, the Steve Rude book. Okay. And um that was the first I cause I had been um you know ever ever since I was very small, I had been into uh Ghostbusters and and Batman and and all of the more uh, uh supernatural and fantastic things out there. Um but it kind of wasn't until I was handed a comic book that I realized, oh, there's there's a whole nother whole another uh, realm to this stuff um which then led me down to you know any when, when I, my when I would hang out with my cousin, he would go to the store and he would pick up comics and he would be he would be grabbing Spider-Man and this would be like the early 90s so this is, you know, <clears throat> the McFarlane Spider-Man, the the Larson Spider-Man. And that stuff really stood out to me and, and I just kind of uh I kind of caught the bug from him I think and it just never never left.
1: That's awesome man. What um what kind of I see that you have an amazing um wolfman decal on your mic and then oh, you yeah. mentioned the ghostbusters but um what was the like the cuz you know jumping not too far ahead your style dude like it's so like there's there's perfect for gore it's perfect for horror (laughs) thanks um what was the what were the specifics like Hmm. as far as like horror or stuff like that that you caught on to when you were younger
2: well um yeah ghostbusters was probably the big intro for me um and i i think uh after ghostbusters the next biggest influence in my uh horror Upbringing was probably "Are You Afraid of the Dark" on on Nickelodeon. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, it kind of it kind of grew from there into basically uh, my uh, maturation in, into horror. Kind of seemed to all happen on like Saturday nights on uh, watching TV because it went from "Are You Afraid of the Dark" and then that moved into "Tales from the Crypt," yeah. and then from "Tales in the Crypt" it moved to um, "Monster Vision" with Joe Bob Briggs. And that was kind of where everything sort of expanded out from. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it actually wasn't until high school that uh, – because, you know, one of the things I love about horror is is I, I like it because I find it scary. Like I, I am – I do find things that are scary interesting to me. But when I was younger, there were some things that I I just kind of shied away from. Like I had never watched – any of the classic slasher movies that like there was a certain line that I wasn't ready to cross until a friend of mine introduced me to evil dead. And after I watched the first and I watched evil dead, excuse me, for the first time, the way everyone should watch evil dead for the first time, which was he handed me a video cassette that, that didn't have a cover to it. (laughs) And it just said in a black and white sticker on it, the evil dead. And he's like, you need to go home and watch this. And I did, and you know that was kind of set me set the ball rolling for me down into uh, into into all that stuff.
1: That's awesome! What a great intro, as far as like uh, visually for that.
2: Yeah, it was it was, um, you know, I kind of it was right around the time that I was really getting into watching movies more uh, critically and really appreciating them as as uh, as an art form and 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 as um, something that people were actually making and storytelling and stuff. And so seeing a movie like that, that was, I think it had the effect on me that it has on a lot of people, which is, oh, wow, this looks like a bunch of friends just did this in their backyard. And so that kind of it kind of brings things back down to earth, because if you're watching Star Wars, as I was, or these big budget stuff, it, it, all that stuff seems really far away and unattainable. But then when you see Sam Raimi and and some nerds from Michigan making a scary-ass horror movie, even though you can see all the seams, everything still works. It's It kind of makes it a little bit more um, reasonable, a goal to try and... uh, uh, It's a little more relatable. It's what that...
1: Yeah, and, like, inspiring, maybe.
2: Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was
1: the... uh, When you were a kid, what were the first things that you remember
2: drawing? Uh, Ninja Turtles. (laughs) Absolutely. Ninja Turtles and... um, uh, Probably Batman... (laughs) My my mom always likes to tell me that she taught me how to draw knees, which is a really weird specific <laughs> thing to say, um, because I, I I remember drawing Batman as when I was a little kid and I just couldn't I couldn't hack that area of the leg. And so she kind of helped me out and, and worked it out for me. And so that's the uh, that's the the one one piece of my artistic journey that she takes credit for. Well, I, that's I, how that you
0: can. craft a, a good undeniable. Story. Oh, yeah, there you it have, is. just have some detail there. That is that?
1: Like, oh animated. yeah! Is that a Clay McCormick Ninja Turtles? Sure is. No way! <laughs>
2: Look at that. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for. Uh, I was wondering uh, if you had ever drawn Ninja Turtles because it was uh, yeah. kind of off the wall request by me. I had never. I've never done it professionally. Honestly, that that's so. I think you are the first person to get a professional Ninja Turtles drawing from. Damn. Me. Um, one of well, one. Well, hearing
1: your story, that makes it <laughs> even better. Now, how one of these? one?
2: Yeah, Chick yeah, was yeah, great Well niche. that's no the turtles are easy because they all wear knee pads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> um but yeah I I that was you know I, I kind of did things the way most kids do things where you kind of gravitate sort towards stuff that has a bit of a formula to it. So once I kinda hacked that the turtle head, you know, into a repeatable form, then it was like, Oh yeah, it's really easy to draw turtles, guys. Everybody come over and watch me do it. <laughs> it's the same with <laughs> Spider-Man, you know, once you once you hack out how the webs work on Spider-Man's face, all of a sudden you know how to draw Spider-Man. That's that's, a, that's like the secret that like the
1: artist always figures out versus the person who doesn't know because you, I think you do it repetitively and, and you find the little shortcut, but then sure. you master it and that's what puts you leaps and bounds against some random person trying to draw. So were your parents, um, were they also artistic? Were they artists themselves? Your mom helping you?
2: Uh, no, actually. My aunt uh was uh is a fantastic artist um and i think i i got a lot of introduction to stuff through her but uh no neither of my parents are artists my mother's a fantastic singer though she's she's uh artistic in a in a different different way and she can draw the fuck out of a knee yeah yeah she (laughs) she (laughs) yeah exactly that's awesome um what were
1: your turtles that you were drawing was it the cartoon
2: was it comics Oh, definitely the cartoon. Yeah. That yes. was I was uh of the generation that came to the turtles through um the cartoon and then honestly the movie, the first uh mm-hmm. turtles movie in nineteen ninety, which oh, is that, that still, movie was life changing. Still holds up, man. Uh my girlfriend and I, I, I had actually, the bed sheets. Not, <laughs> yeah, I think I did too. You know, I actually uh I remember my dad and I went to the hardware store and they had you know those like borders that you can run around the top of a room? Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. They had ninja turtles Borders and we, you know, I, I bugged him into getting them for me. And uh, they sat in the basement until my parents oh. moved out of their house about f- 10 years ago. So I never, <laughs> I never made wow. it under the wall. And... Well, that, that was the beginning of, uh, of your collecting. Yeah. You collect but I was just going to say on. that uh, my girlfriend and I got to see the Turtles movie, the original one, at, in the theater uh, last year, which oh, really? was awesome because wow. I don't think I had seen it in a theater since probably it came out in 1990. Yeah, was it like a thirty-fifth anniversary kind of thing? No, it was just um, one of the theaters uh, up by where I live in uh, in Boston. Um, they just—it's a repertory th- theater, so they do a lot of uh, prints of a lot of different stuff. And that they were doing a uh, Jim Henson series over the summer. Wow! And so they did Dark Crystal and um, Labyrinth and Ninja Turtles at the the Brattle Theater in Cambridge, fantastic movie
1: theater. That's awesome. Yeah, we—I um, I want to say maybe it was a thirtieth anniversary. There's a summer series that. Before it ran, there was an arc light by us, and they it was whenever, whatever the first uh reboot of the live action turtles came out, mm-hmm. where the, the turtles are all CGI, quote unquote, live action with Megan Fox and who's the director, big explodey guy.
2: Uh, oh, Bay. uh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: It was the first Michael Bay turtles movie, and the, the theater was genius. So, the week that movie came out, they were showing the original turtles movie. Like they decided like, Hey, why not? And so we bought tickets to the original turtles movie being like, yeah, it's like the new one. And we showed up and they were serving pizza. Like you got a free Excellent. slice of pizza Excellent. as you walked in. So we made sure to wait until the turtles ate their pizza in the movie until we ate ours. <laughs> but that Very you're good. right, man. I would say that's like a pretty perfect movie.
2: Yeah. And it's, it was uh what was it? It was like the highest grossing independent film for a long time, I think, because it was independently produced. Um, and, and, and those I mean,
1: costumes still look better than any
2: oh, of yeah. the CGs
1: oh, they yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Especially because the mouth—it's working mouths. Yeah, you
2: know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I—I I, I don't know if you guys have see, read or heard of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff with that's with those things. But it sounds like they were hard to work with, but the the results were were great. Really early on with uh, Instagram,
1: I remember seeing the viral photo of. The turtles without their uh masks on so it's just like four dudes and they're literally hunched over sweating yeah just (laughs) red-faced yes yep that's awesome yep what was your batman that you i mean obviously i think we know from your podcast but what's the batman you fell in love with uh
2: well i was i think i grew up on batman 66 that was probably the first thing I was watching, but I don't think things really solidified until uh, uh, Batman '89, the Tim Burton one, which mm-hmm. is still the high water mark for me. Even I, I, I'm wise enough to know that it's not a perfect movie, but it's a perfect movie to me. So, listen, Clay, you're amongst. Uh, <laughs> listen. <laughs> um, well, look, look, look behind Tom
0: there, and you can see. Uh... Where his uh, yeah, I mean, look at look at, this st- oh, stupid, look at this.
1: Stupid room that I have here, but <laughs> excellent, excellent. You know, it's
2: funny, uh, Neca. Um, when they came out with, I feel like, I feel like a lot of these companies that are catering to you know people like us are um, kind of fulfilling childhood dreams of everybody who now has the money to spend on this stuff, mm-hmm. because uh, like I. Played video games. I was a NES guy and a Sega Genesis kid, um, and I had a N sixty four, but I wasn't super into N sixty four. And then I didn't have another console system until I just got a um, a PS four maybe three years ago, three four years ago. And uh, the thing that brought me back is all when I was a kid. You know, you're looking at the box art for all these games, and then you rent the game and you bring the game home and. It doesn't match the box art, to put it no. kindly. <laughs> but now, now the games match the box art. If you bring a Batman game home or buy a Batman game, you get to play as Batman in in the most convincing way possible. Or the Ghostbusters game, you know, it's you get to play. The only Ghostbusters game I knew was the NES Ghostbusters game, which is trash, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. But the. Um, <laughs> the one that came out about 10, 10 or so years ago was like, I'd been waiting for that game my whole life. <clears throat> and so NECA, when they finally put out a set six or seven inch Michael Keaton Batman figure, mm. my the you know my head just exploded because I had been wanting a figure like that since I was five years old.
1: Yeah, and it's an absolutely amazing figure. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. It was, how'd you get your hands on that one? Because it was like an eBay, it was a weird eBay Toys R Us exclusive. You had to either get it off their eBay, mm-hmm. Or you had to go into a Toys R Us, and then even then, they were putting
2: like crazy limits on. It, at least around me, I had I, hands on that guy. I I got it at Toys R Us. I uh, it was. R. I. P. I was uh, I saw that it was a Toys R Us exclusive, and I and I saw that it came. You had to, it either came with or you had to purchase movie. the movie on Blu Ray, and I was like, oh yeah. god. I guess I have to buy Batman again, God forbid. But of course, I was more than happy to do that. So I got Batman on Blu-ray, which I didn't have at that point, and I also got the figure. So it was a win-win for me. Yeah,
1: I, uh, I, I went around to probably four or five different Toys R Us at the time, and I stocked. Do I? I don't. I don't remember. I remember having a stack of them, and I sent them all to these guys. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I was just gonna say you got mine. <laughs>
1: yeah, I didn't. I didn't keep them. I wasn't a dick to like you know uh keep it for myself i would have gladly but there's about eight dudes that i was buying them for so that's it was a tough one to get man
2: yeah i i think i was kind of lucky because um w- with that stuff i always i feel like uh you know it's kind of a crap shoot what places around you may or may not have them like a lot of stuff that i look for now the places around me tend not to have and every now and then i'll walk in and boom something will be on the shelf at target or something but uh mm. Yeah, I grabbed that one and the other one I was I, I was happy to get when I could was um Hot Wheels did a one eighteen size of the Keaton Batmobile yeah. die cast, which is again something I'd wanted for a very, very long time.
1: Yeah.
2: Did you get the NECA NES variant as well? No, I I held out because I saw that one and I was like, I could go for this, but this isn't exactly what I want. And I feel like (laughs) if they're doing this version, they're going to do the other version eventually. So I held out for the uh, for the original original costume. Yeah, I think um, you make good points about NECA and how
1: they're putting out things exactly for our very specific demographic and time frame. Um, The guy who runs it, Randy, is pretty much like us around the same age. And I think he's gotten his company to a point where, like, now he can just make whatever he wants. And so he's doing That's, exactly yeah. that. Like That's all, awesome. Yeah. All his favorite horror movies, all his favorite, you know, superhero movies. Um, he did April from – these guys are killing themselves over trying to get April from Ninja Turtles. The Oh, sure. Sure. The, the movie version. There's, like, two of them out, right, Legends? That's right. And he's all – I got both of them. Speaking about the knees, Clay – <laughs> big, uh, big, to-do, big, big to do, big, big to do in the Neca community about April's knees. Apparently. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah. Ask this guy; he yeah. tell you.
0: they were pretty horrible on the uh, first version, but what are you going to do? See, they, they should have got Clay's mom to uh, to work on these knees.
2: I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, and
0: we we can we can hook that up now too because one of our guys he's not on tonight but one of our guys works at Neca. And well, so, there you go. Oh, maybe maybe uh, that's an inroad.
2: Well, she's yeah. retired now, so I'm so sure she knees. would love to do some uh, concept <laughs> design for action figure knees.
1: <laughs> how does, uh, the market.
2: How does returns hold up? For, obviously,
1: eighty nine is your first, but like mm-hmm. as, as as returns came out, what were your thoughts on that one?
2: Um, I have very clear recollection of going to see it on my birthday because it came out the week of my birthday. I think nice, it um, and it was one where I have kind of gone back and forth on it where i i went from as a kid i i liked it but not as much as the first one and then i kind of took the hip approach where it's like well yeah batman return batman's great but batman returns that's the weird one you know it's that's the strange one and then i've come back around and i'm like no that one's pretty great it's uh it's kind of it's it's less of a comic book batman movie and more of a pure tim burton batman movie which i'm very happy to see like i'm i'm one of the people who w- now, I, at the time, I thought it was silly and didn't want to see it, but now, especially after the documentary, I wish they had made that Nicholas Cage super, yeah. Superman movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> because it, at, I just want to see what that was would have been like. It was it sounded bad shit crazy, mm-hmm. uh, which is now made makes me really want wish that I had made it. Yeah, yeah. yeah all it, all it,
0: those suits, like the 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 Superman suit with the lights in it. Right. Yeah, it's.
2: That stuff is so fascinating to me, too, because it's like you can tell they're really pushing the limits of what they can do before CGI really exists yeah. in the way that it does now. Because all of that stuff they're doing, they're they're trying to do what they can with the limits of the technology of the time. Um, and so you end up with, yeah, these weird sort of like translucent, uh, marbleized, painted, light up suits and shit that that probably would have... <clears throat> not looked fantastic or maybe they would have I don't know who knows mm. movie movie magic always makes that stuff look good
1: yeah I agree with you I would have loved to have seen a timeline or an alternate alternate universe where we get that movie and uh who cares what other people would have thought I probably would be watching it mm. repeatedly so
2: did you yeah. did you hear the rumor that Nicolas Cage might be in Flash as Superman I have not heard mm. that and I wish that you that would told cool. me. Because now, <laughs> now if it doesn't happen I'm, I know, I'm sorry <laughs> Yeah. yeah, i i i have only I only saw. I haven't seen anybody else really. So I saw one thing, and they 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 pointed to an interview that he did. One of those like, variety interviews where they take questions from the internet or something. And uh, I think he, the question was, "Will we ever get to see you in a movie as Superman, or a, a, a Superman's movie starring you as Superman?" And his he kind of like hesitated, and he, and he said something like, uh, "Well." How do you define star or something like that, where it was like a definite like kind of
1: didn't want to say no, didn't want to say
2: yes. So maybe he was just messing with people. But of of course, everybody Mm. was like, well, that means only one thing. So
1: he I don't know what animated movie, but he voiced Superman recently. Did he really? Yeah, Mm -hmm. he did. He did the voice, the voice acting for and it was a very small role. Like, I don't even think Superman was like even a, a main character. in it. I think he was it might be like a super pets, like recent. Oh, short. sure. Sure. Yeah, something like yeah, that, okay. but something to where it was just kind of like a nod, you know, and they, and he had fun doing it because, Oh, like, you know, he, I'm sure he would have, you know, it's just kind of something that, that he can close a chapter on or whatever. But if what you're saying is true, man, that would be amazing.
2: You yeah. Know? who Who knows? Anything is possible these days in a way mm-hmm. that makes the, my 13 year old self just, not understand how anything works anymore, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that they're doing it. So,
1: and then uh, when the when the animated series came out, um, how did you re- obviously you got a whole podcast on it? But how was uh, how was young Clay uh, receiving that one?
2: Oh, uh, that, yeah, th- um, I, that was probably the next step in my comic book evolution was the cartoons because it was you had batman the animated series x-men and spider-man all kind all on kind of around the same time and so that really kind of crystallized those things for me and uh, yeah batman the animated series was probably my favorite you know honestly if i'm being completely honest i think i'm more of a batman guy now than i was when i was a kid i think i was more of an x-men person when i was a kid so i think mm-hmm. i probably preferred the x-men show um but yeah i watched them all equally and was equally as devastated when i came down one saturday and they just weren't on anymore uh let's uh,
0: shift gears i want to go back so we got through your early days of illustration where did that lead you to like did you uh, end up going the road of art school or anything like that
2: I did. Yes. Um so I actually started off as more of a painter because uh I mm. never really um I wasn't I I had done like drawing comics kind of in my notebooks and stuff as as a kid but I never and I you know I had the prerequisite copy of uh how to draw comics the Marvel way that I never actually read cover to cover <laughs> unfortunately but um I Never really took art lessons until around the eighth grade. And my art teacher was um a great painter. He was a great illustrator. And so I had never painted before. And so that was the route I ended up going. And that was um <clears throat> right around the time Kingdom Come and Marvels came out. And so I had been, you know, through the trading cards, I had locked on to Joe Jusco, and I was like, okay, this is something I've never seen before. Realistic painted comic books. This is fantastic. And then Alex Ross comes around, and he kind of takes it a step further. Um, and so I was really into that stuff. And so when I was learning how to paint, I was copying Alex Ross' paintings. I, I, did, I copied the uh, Marvel's cover with Spider-Man on the, the window with the mm-hmm. goblin flying by the office building. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I did that all through high school. And then um, I went to uh, Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. And uh, my, intention, my intention was always to do comics. I never really had much of an interest in doing like magazine illustration or anything like that. My it was always sequential art for me. It was either going to be comics or storyboards or some, some combination of the two. Um and so my school didn't have the biggest comics program. Uh we had a great teacher. His name was his name's Floyd Hughes. He's still there, fantastic teacher. Uh he worked for um Marvel in the early nineties, I think he did a bunch of uh, vengeance stories on um, Marvel comics presents. Uh, and he worked for MTV for a while. He did, he did the storyboards for Highlander, which oh, Highlander wow. is one of my favorite movies. And uh, he's very bitter about it for, <laughs> uh, I won't go into why, but uh, he did storyboards for Hellraiser. I have photocopies oh, of the wow, storyboards. He did awesome. for, yeah. He, did, he still he, have them. Uh, i have them i uh, i mean i don't i don't i don't have the originals, but he gave me photocopies, which i still have
1: whoa
2: yeah he he um storyboarded the uh Frank coming back out of the the floor sequence mm-hmm. which is great <clears throat> um but yeah it wasn't a big sequential art school at the time i'm not sure if it is now but um so I was still doing mostly illustration uh but when it came to my senior year, i did my final senior project was i did an eight page story uh it was the first dead meat story i ever did which i eventually sold to heavy metal it was the first thing i ever had published
1: that's awesome mm-hmm. look that was like you were pretty young then too
2: yeah uh 20 2021 20, around whoa. then.
1: whoa and having something sold to heavy metal that's crazy
2: yeah you know it's it was it was a really great it, i'll tell you coming out of coming out of art school Really, um, gave me an an unrealistic impression of what freelance art was going to be like. Because so right after college, so my, my teacher Floyd suggested I I did this this uh, eight page story. He said you should try and get this in heavy metal because he had done. He's he's from um, he's from England. He's from London. He actually grew up and hung out with Alan Moore and, and Neil Gaiman and all those oh, guys. Man um and he wow. and he was a he was like you should sell to try to sell this to heavy metal and so i went to the first i can't remember if, i think it was the first one the first big new york comic con at the javits center which was um hilarious because they oversold it and so uh we went my my buddy doug cowan and i a good friend of mine fantastic painter he does star wars and stuff that's amazing um we went down to the show and on on the second day and they said oh we can't let you in we oversold the show but here's put your name down here and we'll give you free passes for next year we said okay that's great we wrote our names in the thing and then we basically walked down the back and down the stairs and just went in anyway <laughs> there you go. um and so i uh i went over to the heavy metal table and kevin eastman was there because kevin eastman was running heavy metal at the time and i showed him the story i i showed him my portfolio and i showed him the story and he just kind of flips through it and he goes yeah i'll publish this wow. <laughs> okay so you're like okay
0: well this is how it goes maybe I'll also yeah to marvel next
2: yeah and so <laughs> i i sent it to uh i sent it to them and there was a bit of a uh connection error where I had sent it, but it, they didn't get it. So I ended up having to send it again, long story, but it ended up going in the magazine. And, um, I did another story for them a couple of years later, another dead meat story. Um, and so yeah, my first attempt at, at getting something sold went very well. And, uh, after that, I, um, I was, uh, I was back at home looking for freelance art jobs and so this was like two thousand six after I graduated because I had I was going out to San Diego that year. And uh I was on Craigslist and I was just looking at art jobs on Craigslist and I saw one that said local band needs artwork for tour video. I'm like, all right, sure. I answered this ad. I talked to the guy. We're kind of on the same page like stylistically. He's looking for this kind of thing that I'm into. And he goes, oh, yeah, hold on. Let me sh- send you the artwork for the tour of this band. And I open the file and my whole screen is filled up with Aerosmith and Motley Crue Root of All Evil Tour 2006. Shut up. the fuck up. Yeah. Dude. And so I ended up doing a um, what turned into a like a, a, a two minute or it's probably less than that. It's probably like a minute. Um animated video that played on Aerosmith's tour that year in between the end of the set and the uh, encore wow yeah and then after that though I was riding high off of that and then it was basically couldn't get a job for about 10 years so it was (laughs) ups and downs
0: and 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 to further that arc so you you go to art school you have this great professor that leads you to great things and then you sell stories to heavy metal and then you work for Aerosmith and then you stumble into this apprenticeship program by some guy named Sean Murphy. Yes. And everything just I presume goes to hell from there.
2: What a quack. <laughs> well bloody hell. <clears throat> there's a there's about um six, seven, eight nine ten 11, 12, there's about seven years in between those two things that you're talking about. But yeah. yes. Um so what had happened was I got out of school, and I was I was doing freelance art, and I pretty much I hated it. Basically, um, it was constantly scrounging for jobs, trying to make contacts, trying to get a couple hundred bucks here and there to do an illustration or or a um, you know a storyboards or something for a very 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 low budget movie or whatever. And uh, n- none of this was comics, and I was doing. Um, sample pages uh, i would take sample pages to different conventions i i had a really great meeting with mark chiarello one year um and i I've, i talked to numerous numerous people trying to trying to get better but you know i wasn't i wasn't getting any work doing comics and i remember walking around new york comic-con probably 2008 ish yeah probably about 2008 And I was kind of looking around at everybody who had these tables set up. And I'm walking the floor and I got to, you know, trying to desperately get someone to talk to me to maybe give me a job. And I'm seeing all these people self publishing books and doing all this stuff. And I just kind of had this moment where I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just do it myself. And I decided to put all my focus on making my own book, which was dead meat, which was served two purposes to me. It was a way to get myself. to to do work that i i could actually put out there which it was online i did it as a weekly web thing and then i would collect them into to issues and trades that i would sell at at conventions um which familiarized me with printing and putting a book together and and the how anytime you do that you make about 1700 pdfs before you send the wrong one off to the printer Um, but uh on top of that, I, I looked at it as a an excuse to just get better and and work on stuff, and so I knew it, part of my goal of doing that book was to see how my style changed between when I started and when I ended it, and uh, I did that probably for about five years, and I got to a point where it it's it's crazy how this stuff like I it sounds like somebody wrote this, but. I got to a point where I was, I was talking to my girlfriend, and I said, you know, I feel, like, I feel like I've got the tools. I feel like I'm in a pretty good place with my ability. I just wish, I would love it if I could work with a professional for like a month who could really focus me down and to, and to show me how to, to really, uh, what areas I need to, to work on. And I swear to God, a month later, Sean's thing popped up. And Sean was one of my favorite artists at the time. Uh, I think he was, he was not new, but he was newer. And I had gravitated toward his style because um, he had kind of the same influence as I did. And it was just like there couldn't have been a bigger sign for me for something I had to do. And so, yeah, I applied to Sean's uh, apprenticeship. I got in and I worked with him for two weeks. And, uh, yeah, we've been good friends ever since. Dude, um, do you play the lottery? Uh, no, I, you know, I, I test my luck on scratch tickets, but it's never, Mm. it's never very, uh, successful there, unfortunately. It's, It's interesting that, um, you seem to be
1: someone that once you start, like, it sounds like those seven years you were doing the, the, the grinding out kind of, you know, the, uh the freelance kind of thing, but it seems that anytime that you've like just taken the reins and, and like gone for something like mm-hmm. it just happens. Dude, like, for example, choosing to say, fuck it. And just walk into the job eat center. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you could have just yeah. passively said, Oh, we can't get in. Your life is completely different, you know? Right. Right. But yeah. you guys were ballsy enough to say, fuck it. And you go in there, you take your thing you give it to Eastman. He looks at it. Yeah. And it's like, dude, think of that. Like you, you, a breeze pushed you into the job center, and then, and then you got, you got, uh, dead meat published in heavy metal, which is boom right there. Like, that's a nice thing to have on your resume, you know? And then, yeah. So it's, it's super interesting. I don't know if there's much coincidence more so than manifesting going on there on your part.
2: You know, I, I, I have never thought about it that way because I have, I have kind of seen it from the other side of that equation where, I feel like I think maybe one of the reasons that I gravitated towards World War One for bloody hell is because I feel like I uh I I can connect to uh attrition quite well. Where I if I am I can stick it out for the long long game. You know, if I, I, I knew when I started doing Dead Meat, I knew that this was not going I, I knew I was making a conscious decision to change what I was doing. And I was not going to be making money off of this right away. And it was really more for the long game than anything else. And knowing that and understanding that, I can play that game. And um you know, it 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 the same thing goes with when I was uh when it was like around 2010, I think, I was going to do a this was in the early days of Kickstarter. I was going to do a Kickstarter for Bloody Hell to do a collection of, sorry, Dead Meat. <clears throat> and I was going to do a collection uh, of of Dead Meat, like, you know, a hardcover, blah, 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 And I had, at the time, no idea the ins and outs of Kickstarter. And as I started diving into this and looking stuff up and, and researching about how to do this the right way, I realized, I was like, I am not ready to do this. I I don't have the... Backing of people who I can, you know, reach out to to make this happen. I also, you know, I'm looking at the way these numbers shake out, and it's like this is very difficult to come out of this ahead. And I talked to some very successful people who had successful kickstarters, and I was like, "Hey, how did you not end up in in the hole doing this?" And they're like, "Oh no, we did. We lost money." And I was like, "Okay, well, I can't afford to do that." Um, and so that was always in the back of my mind as something I wanted to do. And it stayed there for about 10 years until I did bloody hell, which was like, all right, I've got the thing. I've got enough experience now where I feel like I can do this successfully. I've been watching how Kickstarter works for 10 years to see what goes well, what doesn't go well, what the best way to uh, handle certain things are. And I kind of formulated a long term plan that was always kind of gestating until I, until I decided to launch this and it was ended up working out very well for me. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, it might seem like, uh, you know, a divine wind pushing me in the right direction, but it, it's, it, it usually comes after, um, a long road of, of grinding it out, as you'd say, which I, you know, I don't have any bitterness about cause you got to do what you got to do yeah well deserved i think uh your work
1: um the way that how successful bloody hell has been um as a project is kind of proof in itself and um i mean like we're just gonna flip through some of the art real quick on that and uh it's just an awesome idea, awesome concept. So you Thank were you. talking a little bit about. Well, can you for the listeners and for people who are watching who don't really, who might not have backed the program, who might not have backed the project, who don't know what it is, can you give us like a quick little pitch on for them?
2: Sure. Uh, Bloody Hell is it's about five mystically powered Vikings who've been imprisoned for a thousand years, and they're set loose when their prison is destroyed by an artillery shell from World War One, and so they get released all juiced up on magic and invincible and they start wreaking havoc during world war one and see so great example of what i'm talking about that pitch that i just gave you i gave to everybody who stopped at my convention table for about five years and so i it it got whittled down to a succinct two sentences that i can kind of get Mm -hmm. across the idea i i think hopefully effectively
1: yeah nailed it nailed it um and then uh So, just looking at the art on this, um, the style. What is? Why did you choose World War One and uh, a crossover of that with like Viking lore? Amazing concepts, amazing visually too. So, what was it? How did that bleed into this project?
2: Well, um, the project came about when I was uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Dan Edelman, and I were just kind of talking about we were just kicking around ideas and we were kind of like, what's the most heavy metal thing you can think of? And we were kind of like, Oh, well, Vikings in world war two. And at a certain (laughs) point I was like, you know, yes, but I feel like world war two is really overdone at this point. And I've always found world war one a little bit more interesting uh, because it's a lot more uh, it's it like, it completely changed the course of world history in a, in a very sharp way. Um, and like the, the, the casualty count was absolutely astronomical, but nobody really talks about it that much anymore. It's world war two. And then they don't go back further than that. And I've always kind of wondered why that is. And to me, it was always because world war two has a villain, right? You've got a, you've got a bad guy built into the, to the idea, if you, if you will. Uh, whereas World War One is a lot more messy and it's a lot more complicated politically, and the actual fighting echoes that by just having years upon years of stalemate, where people are just shooting at each other across a field of mud and killing each other in the most inhumane ways you could possibly think of, because um, it, it was it was wild to me that. World War One. they started on horses and they ended with tanks. So mm-hmm. you can see the, the big swing of technology, war, war machine technology. And um, I think as I really got into this, the thing that stood out to me was it interested me to, to use the Vikings as a um, sort of a, a reflection of World War I because the vikings were come from a culture that values uh battle and and honor and dying in battle as the as the greatest honor and to take those characters and put them into a situation where it's very difficult to look around and see anything honorable about the way people are dying in this war i thought that was that created a really interesting uh conflict and and juxtaposition and the the cover that you showed there, that was the first drawing that I ever did of the concept because I wanted to see if the the imagery worked together Mm. and it's kind of like a proof of concept drawing. And that was the first drawing I did and it made it all the way to the finished, the finished book.
1: Awesome imagery because you got the, uh, you got the soldiers in the foreground and then you have the massive Viking in the background and, and the, the way that he's in the back, is just like making him. He's already massive, but then when you look at the distance, it's like Jesus, he's massive.
2: Thanks. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of false advertising because they never get that big in the actual book. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> it, uh, but it's a striking image. Yeah. yeah you got to hook it, him somehow. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then did you design the? Did you design the logo art too?
2: Uh, no. Uh, a good friend of mine, Joe Delegata, designed that. He's also a fantastic comic artist. Uh, I highly recommend looking him up. He's got Really, really great style, and he's yeah, he's that. a very um, very uh, clean and precise artist, and he does all of his own hand lettering when he can, still mm-hmm. on the page, and uh, so I knew he he would have the design sense that I wanted because you know the, the the image is so um, it's so busy, and there's lots of streaks and scratches and you know, all kinds of crap going on. So for a logo, I wanted something really kind of simple and clean to kind of offset that a bit. And, you know, I think he nailed it. It came out great. And uh, I remember in the Kickstarter
0: updates, um, there was a photo at one point of, was it an ax or something? You, like you had a, a bloody hell ax or something like that made up in yes. one of the photos. Yes. Know, that was very cool.
2: Yeah. I, um, you know, I was looking for something special, to 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 do as a uh, high level reward for kickstarter but um it it was very disappointing when i read the uh, terms and conditions and said you could not give weapons as as a kickstarter (laughs) reward and so i had bought this axe off of ebay and i was going to my my original plan was to uh sell uh, put it up as a reward and i would do a sketch on the blade and, and whatnot um but i couldn't do that and so i worked it into the to the video as kind of a gag and then um uh, yeah, who cares? One of, one of my friends ended up buying it. <laughs> it's funny how they have that. That means something bad happened
1: for them to have to put it in the terms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I imagine
2: when they were sitting around having their meeting about what they should and shouldn't allow, that was probably very high on the list of things that they very quickly decided not to allow. kind of like um, he's in the news a lot right now. Elon
1: Musk, when he first started selling Teslas, or at some point with one of the versions of them, he included a flamethrower. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> of and course he what he did was he came out and said, "Do not buy this flamethrower, please. It's a bad idea. Don't do it." And yep. he made twenty thousand of them, and they all sold out.
0: Yeah, yeah. and didn't, didn't they have to call it not a flamethrower? Like yeah, they literally called it not a flamethrower. Not a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah.
2: There's um, I I forget the name of the place, so I can't get them in trouble. But there's a restaurant near me that um, <laughs> uh, will basically uh deliver you pot with your order and it is you are not paying for that though it's basically you are tipping or i think they were i can't remember how they refer to it but it's you're essentially you're you're giving an x amount of dollar tip and uh they give you something in return that is you're not something you're buying
1: that is that is, you're not
2: buying it <laughs> what, what kind of food do they have I honestly don't remember. I've, I've never <laughs> get, I've, not for that reason. But I've never food. Yeah.
1: Who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. He donates the food. Um. So, it, well, let's show this one real quick because I think people uh, – it's another cool one, right?
2: Yeah, I called in a pretty big favor on that one. Yeah, that, that was the uh, tear that,
0: that I got with uh, Sean's uh, dust jacket.
2: Yeah, he, he uh, was unbelievable – it was unbelievable of him to, to do that for me. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he just knocked it out of the park and we had, uh, Simon, Simon Goff do the the colors for it, which is fantastic. And, uh, he actually gave me the idea to do the dust jacket because one of the things that I was trying to figure out when I was working out my Kickstarter stuff was how to get the maximum maximum amount of stuff In the smallest package possible, basically. And so, so you're not sending a bunch of different size packages. And you know, if you can get everything in the package with the book, that's really beneficial. Um, And so I wanted to offer a print like a solid good size print, but I didn't want to have to send a bunch of gigantic packages out with these, you know, 11 by 17 prints. Yeah. and sean suggested doing a dust jacket and i was like man that is a fucking brilliant idea because it's it's a print but you just wrap it around the book and it just slips right in there you don't need to get any new different shipping material It all you know it doesn't cost you anymore because it's it, you know it's half an one tenth of an ounce or whatever it is and uh it was just a it did really really well too it was a it was a great great reward tier for me do
1: you did he show you progress on it or did he show it to you <clears throat> once it was done
2: he pretty much just showed it to me when it was done. I think he might have given me like one or two shots when he was doing the boat, and then uh, I think he was at, he had a couple of questions about the design of the character, and I was like, "Listen, just do whatever you want. It's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> argue with whatever you do." Yeah. So what what was your uh, reaction when
1: you saw the finish the finished piece?
2: Well, I was I was a little bit upset because I had planned to offer it as the highest reward tier the original art and once i saw it i really second guessed that plan because i would much rather have kept it for myself but um (laughs) but i didn't i didn't i put it up and it 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 went very quickly as you can assume
1: that's awesome man yeah that's uh bittersweet but yeah it's cool that you at least get that on your on your book overall yeah
2: i i did before i sent it off i made a high quality print of the original art for myself so i've got something uh, pretty close yeah and now and uh, people can still uh, purchase copies of Bloody Hell. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you can. It's so the publisher who put it out for me. That was another part of the Kickstarter that I kind of had to figure out a way to do it that I was happy with because I I know enough about myself to know that I don't want to deal with a printer and I don't want to have to deal with shipping books overseas and I don't want to have to deal with having a thousand books in my my basement or something. And so, and also self-publishing like that you don't really have distribution or anything You're, you're basically doing i would have been doing the same thing i was doing before which is pounding the pavement just trying to get these books into however many people's hands i could um and then i met tyler tyler chin tanner from a wave blue world who's this uh really great publisher they're a smaller publisher but they put out fantastic books they did toby cypress's art book a few years ago that's really really great and um I was talking to him at a show in a smaller show in, in New York. And he's like, you know, if you, if you want to put this out, we'll publish it. And the talking over with him about how we were going to, to handle this stuff. It was, it was the perfect deal for me because it, they kind of ended up being the leg of the thing that I kind of didn't want to deal with. Like the, they have, they're a, uh, an established publishing company that has actual distribution in bookstores they've got great relationships with their printers and they can do things right and they can do it well they designed the book like the the book design is all them it's they put together a fantastic product and um so i i hooked up with them and uh they they published it for me and yeah you can get it at their website which is i i, I think it's awbw.com but if you look up a wave blue world it'll it'll pop up there
1: very awesome i think and they also a... they also but... just
2: published um I did a book a few years ago with a record company uh, that was called Poser. It's a horror, uh, punk rock slasher horror book and uh, written by Matt Miner and Waxwork uh, Comics, who's the company that put the put the book out at the time, never collected it as a as a trade. And uh, Matt and I got the rights back to it uh, late, maybe like late summer last year. And uh, we both really wanted a trade and Matt knows Tyler as well and so we reached out to him and we were like hey this is all completely done would you be interested in publishing it and he said yeah let's do it and so that's out from them now too it's uh you can get bloody hell and poser from a wave blue world awbw.com
1: that's awesome and um i was uh i was able to get these screenshots um digitally from um i had the i had the physical copies but i'm like man i don't want to just take pictures on my phone so i actually bought it on uh what is it amazon i think or was it i forget what it was i think it's a comiXology. so um to hold me over <laughs> excellent yeah. thank yeah, you man so it's uh well there's also um this coming as well
2: <laughs> yes that, eventually
0: yes yeah. such the first time i read the the book and got to that at the end i thought well that's perfect like how the the name couldn't be any more perfect
2: well funny story about that um i had never intended to do a sequel to this book i uh you know as i said before world war ii a little bit played out as far as stories go, especially when you're involving magic and stuff. Like what's, what ground can you lay that Hellboy and other people before you haven't already done. And, um, so I was, I was typing in my phone to a friend of mine and I wrote bloody hell and my phone auto-corrected it to bloody Heil. And I just went, Oh, that's too good of a title not to use. And so that was, <laughs> That was uh, the genesis of, of the sequel that I, I will do eventually. I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to get to it, but it is it is in the works to, to do it at some point.
0: And, and you mentioned that you feel the uh, the time period has already uh, been done. But I think you sort of get grandfathered in because you've already <laughs> done World War One. So, well you're just moving to the next conflict to continue as another chapter of, of your own story.
2: Yeah. My, my dad was joking around and he's like, well then you got to figure out a, a clever title for Korea in Vietnam. And I was like, all right, I don't, I don't know if it's going to work that far. But, <laughs> you know, I, I did, I had been thinking about that cause you know, I didn't want to just do a generic world war two and magic story. Um, and so what I can tell you about it is that it will be a Christmas story. It takes Ooh. place at Christmas. Um and it will involve uh Belgian resistance fighters hmm. during World War Two. Um but that's that's all I'll say about it right now. Interesting. interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay,
1: <laughs>
0: cool. Now and uh do you assume that this is something you would uh do yourself again, do a a crowdfund or most likely.
2: Um yeah, I I um I really like the. I mean, I've only done it once, so the next one I do might be, be a complete failure. I don't know, but I like the option of the crowdfunding model, um, especially if I have a partner like Wave Blue World who can uh, who I can work with to to put out a really great book, um, because it allows me to. You you don't have to wait for somebody to give you the green light to do something. You can. Yeah if you can put it together yourself and you can put it in front of people and have people go, yeah, I'd like to read that. Then at that point, all you got to do is make it, you know?
0: And I feel like you can only go up. Like you, you were obviously successful with, with bloody hell, just doing this on your own. And now your name has grown not only from that, but from one of the other irons you have in the fire right now is your upcoming red hood, two issues, Right. We see it here in as part of Sean Murphy's uh, Batman Beyond the White Knight. Yes. Uh, And I I didn't want to make that the focus of tonight. I wanted to talk about bloody hell and, and your stuff, your story. But, oh yeah, uh, bring me we, onto a
2: Batman centric podcast to talk yeah. about World War 1, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we, where do you want to start? It started on Aug in August in, in <laughs> you know.
0: But uh yeah, well I guess we would be remiss if we didn't uh, touch on this a little bit, you know, everyone yeah, sure. knows it's coming now. Uh, is there anything you do want to say about? It?
2: Uh I do want to say I I am, you know, more than honored to be a part of of the uh the White Knight universe with Sean. Um I've been working with him kind of in the background since the first volume of white Mm -hmm. Knight, And, uh, uh, this it, while it was never something that I expected to happen, I kind of was like, you know, it it would be great if eventually I could, could do something in, in the, in the world. And so when he, uh, and he brought this to me and he offered, offered me the job to do it. I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it.
0: Yeah, Sean's been coming on with us since the first uh White Knight volume and has always uh, credited you as uh as being someone who is oh, helping yeah. him do that.
2: Yeah, that he's he's been really great about it. Uh, for for various reasons he couldn't do it officially, so he's been really great about uh saying it anywhere mm-hmm. off off the official record that he can uh mm-hmm. to put me over pretty strong, which is which is fantastic, you know. He, it's not something that he needs to do because it's obviously it's his it's his baby, it's his brain ch- brainchild and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm just I'm just here to help. But uh um getting a chance to work with Red Hood, which is a character that I had hadn't been super familiar with before before this. I um you know, obviously I knew Jason Todd and I had read Hush and stuff, um and I had seen the under the under the hood, under the Red Hood cartoon, but I didn't have a huge history with him. So it gave me an excuse to go out and, and read some red hood comics that I uh I really enjoyed uh and helped me get a good good handle on him as a character.
1: What would you say are some things after learning a little bit more about him that makes you excited
2: about exploring him? Um he's kind of a kind of an asshole, which I which I yeah. like. <laughs> uh he's they they've done a great job at making each one of the Robins very unique in their um characters and their temperaments so you know dick is obviously kind of the older brother and uh uh damian is uh, damian damian wayne is probably one of my favorite characters to have been uh created in the last 15 years or however long yeah he's he's a different flavor of asshole
0: than jason yeah (laughs) man
2: flipping when they when they put Put Tim uh, Dick Grayson as Batman and gave him a Robin and just flipped the whole dynamic where Batman was the fun-loving, goofy kind of guy and Robin was the dark, brooding asshole. Brilliant, brilliant yeah. idea. Um, and you know, my my Robin was always Tim. Uh, I grew up through Nightfall and, and all the '90s, so I I was more much more familiar with Tim than anybody else. And um, the rest of the Robins all are all kind of such like a close tight knit group that Jason appealed to me as being the black sheep of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I reading uh, the book that I really liked was uh, red hood and the outlaws. The, um, the re, the rebirth version of it with uh okay. Bizarro and yeah. um, I can't mm-hmm. remember who the other Starfire one
1: was. was it?
2: No, it was uh it was an Amazon red with the red hair and the ax. I can't yeah. remember what her name is. I really like that book a lot, um, and he 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 kind of came across as this interesting middle child, which uh, which I found found very interesting. And you know, he's got obviously he's got the the backstory as being killed by the Joker, which is unique. Um, it's funny around that time. So before we had done decided to do Red Hood, I had pitched. Sean a Catwoman series because Hmm. Catwoman was the only character from the main line that he had never touched on in White Knight and so I figured well why not find a character like that that I could put my stamp on Um, and one of the characters that I wanted to use in that series was Stephanie Brown because as I was kind of doing Robin research I came across Stephanie Brown who was a character I didn't really know that much about and um, when I read her story I found her very fascinating as, as someone who started off as a supporting character for Tim Drake and who ended up succeeding him as Robin much to the, uh, constant, um, naysaying of, of Bruce where he did not want her to do this. He did not want her to do this. And then finally she worked her way in there and then she ends up getting killed in a way very different from the way that, that Jason gets killed. um, and I also found her interesting because she kind of was an afterthought with a lot of the other kind of restructuring and stuff. Like she, uh, they brought they had her be Batgirl for a while, obviously in that great Batgirl series. But after after they rebooted everything, she kind of disappeared. Um, and so that's a, that's another character I'd love to I'd love to to write. But um, yeah, Jason Jason was a, is a lot of fun. Sean and I were um, we were kind of we were trying to find a way to crack this because. The way that Sean establishes him in his book is uh, different, to say the least. Yeah. And um, he he hasn't really been a part of the story. He's kind of been like a looming presence, but he had never established him as a character. And even in in Curse of the White Knight, he only shows up for like a panel or a page or something at the end. And so there, we hadn't really figured out what this guy was going to be. And um when Sean pitched me the idea of, of this book, which is he wanted to do sort of a story about Jason taking on his own apprentice r- reluctantly uh, and kind of learning a bit about kind of s- assuaging the the chip on the Batman sized chip he has on his shoulder by actually being in Bruce's shoes, having to teach another, another person how to do this. And I, I was trying to figure out a way to drop into that. That made sense to me. And then we were kind of, we were talking about it. I forget. We were, I think we were out to dinner or something and I forget which one of us said it, but we were like, he's Johnny Lawrence from Cobra Kai. And as soon as we said that it clicked in my head and I was like, all right, I know how to do this now.
0: Genius. Yeah. That, that's a a very cool take on him. Uh, as soon as Sean had mentioned that, uh, like oh, this is months ago now, but uh yeah, as soon as he, I, I had just finished, I think binging what was out at that point of of Cobra Kai, and when he said we're we're gonna do him like Johnny Lawrence and Cobra Kai, said, oh that's that's awesome. So like sort of, almost like a washed up deadbeat, but still trying to 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 find his way to do something that matters. And...
2: Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting because um, the 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 Jason that is in our book is um. How do I say this without without spoiling anything? Uh, it's a younger Jason than he has introduced up to this point. Yeah, um, and so we we have the 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 Jason that exists in Beyond the White Knight and and in uh, what we what he saw of him in, in Harley Quinn and all that kind of stuff um, is a is an older kind of wiser Jason, and so we kind of set most of the story that we did at a point in his history where he's still really, really rough around the edges and pretty much at bottom he's, he's hit bottom basically. And so that gave us a little bit more latitude to do something, uh, more Cobra Kai esque with him as a character.
0: And you get to introduce now your own, um, whether she's official or not your own Robin that, uh, Jason has taken under it under his wing.
2: Yeah, as far as she's concerned, she's official, but I don't think anybody else thinks that she's official. Uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> def- definitely not Jason, I can tell you that much. Yeah, her name her name's uh her name's Gan, and she's uh she's a kid from from Gotham City who uh who lives in a part of town where Batman and Robin and Nightwing don't seem to get there as much as as much as she wishes that that they did. So she's kind of uh she's a huge Batman fan and she's kind of um taking it upon herself to do what she can to keep her her neighborhood safe and when she meets jason who was at one time a robin she kind of fangirls out a bit and uh and wants to wants to learn as much as she can from him for better or worse
0: and uh sean described her as a a a bigger a bigger woman like just built and kind of a bruiser
2: yeah i you know that was one of the things i said to him when when we started talking about this was i was like you know I would I would like to do a different kind of character than just another Robin who is just, you know, the same skill set in a different design suit. And um, I thought it would be really interesting and it would make it difficult for Jason as a teacher if, you know, he's got this this. I actually don't know what his fighting background is. I I assume I assume it's just all the same stuff Dick knows how to do cuz it was kind of a carbon copy when they invented him, but he's got he's got the 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 classic superhero uh skill set where he's acrobatic, he can swing from high uh rooftops and stuff and he's very quick and he's very agile. And I thought it would be really interesting to pair him with someone who didn't have that skill set, who had a different body type, who couldn't do the things that he was trying to teach her how to do. And so it would force him to try to change his um, his uh, uh, teaching style and and look at things a little bit differently than than the way he thinks that they should go. And uh, originally, <clears throat> uh, originally Gan was going to be a Pacific Islander, I think. And so I said, "Oh, that's great. Let's make her a rugby player." Because I was mm-hmm. thinking about uh, New Zealand. I was thinking about the New Zealand All Black rugby team, and I was like, mm-hmm. "That would be a great, great, you know." strong kind of uh low center of gravity kind of body type where she can she can do some damage but just not in the same way that that jason does you know yeah
0: but uh now i believe she is uh mongolian
2: yes 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 uh influenced by a, a band called the who yeah. that sean has been listening to quite a bit yeah and yeah he it, very excited funny. about he, it He
0: he sent me a link to to their spotify and i i did get hooked on them
2: yeah, yeah he was really the, excited uh, about that band. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's interesting because they're sort of like uh, a hard rock kind of band. They use a lot of Mongolian instruments, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, throat singing.
2: Right. Yeah. I unfortunate name choice. If if you'd ask me though, because like it, it, they may as well have called themselves the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> but just spelled it different. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 There's, but I, uh,
0: I get a lot. I get some uh, funny looks if. Uh, I play them in the comic shop sometimes, oh, yes. and someone will come in and go, "What's this?" And I'll go, "The Who." I go, what? No, yeah. I don't think it is. <laughs> it well, is. you know,
2: Pete Townsend had a—he's a very uh, artistic person. He has a new, pers- new, different angle. He wants to go down. Got so.
1: got, got into throat singing. Yes. He <laughs>
2: um
1: Speaking of music, uh, I was uh, catching up on the Batass podcast. Did you guys time it to where? it would just roll around where you'd cover beyond in this time. I mean, you're covering beyond now on the podcast, you got the Batman beyond white night book coming out. Like it's a perfect the way it kind of synchronized that way.
2: Um, no, it was not, uh, it was not, I guess it was maybe a little bit, but it wasn't something that I, that either of us had planned on. Okay. Well, your book comes out here. We'll make sure we get the first episode out at this point it just kind of um we had finished up the animated series and uh we were taking a break and we had done uh mystery of the batwoman and uh a couple of the uh the superman world's finest episodes with with batman and um you know i was kind of busy with other stuff he was busy i knew he was doing the book and then we just once we started recording again I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, your book is going to come out in a couple of weeks anyway, so this is going to this is going to work out perfectly." So it was it was a little bit kind of I I had it in the back of my mind, but it wasn't something that I was planning to do, but I'm happy that we did because um it lines up in a way that the previous seasons never really did as far as what we could talk about. For instance, the next episode that we have coming out in 2 weeks is um the first shriek episode and uh, shriek is the main villain in the red hood book. So I think it'll give us a little bit of uh, it, it'll be an excuse to talk a little bit more about the book. I think
1: that's awesome. Um, and then I almost wanted to, we did the, we did our intro. I almost wanted to put in the beyond music intro. Cause I know you're such a big
2: fan of that. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So <laughs> the new episode that I put out uh, that, that came out yesterday uh, I do walk that back a bit because, as I say in the episode, since I've been cutting these episodes, I've been I've been listening to that song, and I listen, I you know, every time we watch the show, I don't skip the intro because I once the first episode came out of our show, a lot of people were like, man, that song, that song is that song is the best. You guys, screw you guys, you don't like that song. So I'm like, all right, so I'll, I kept watching the intro, and I was like, all right, I, I get this. And then when I was cutting the episode together. I listened to it just in my headphones so it was just the music on the headphones and I came away thinking yeah all right this is a pretty a pretty good song so I've kind of I've kind of flipped a little bit uh, yeah. on, on the theme song
1: The imagery really does throw it off though like the the intro imagery that's kind of random and it doesn't really get addressed um It's weird I, It is weird. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you guys. It's kind of like it's a little cringy sometimes cuz um I don't I don't like yeah you guys made a good point like what's with the like what's with the, the hand holding the eyeball, um, randomly? What's with like the teenagers dancing to the music in the club? Yeah. But all they're doing yeah. is just gyrating their hips. I, every <laughs> time I every time I watch it, I, I
2: expect it to tell me that you know I wouldn't download a car, would I?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. download a car. <laughs> but uh, what? Um, now that you go, I mean, now that you've gone through the beyond, or starting to get through the beyond universe. Is there anything that you've started to watch and then you're like, oh my God, I have to draw that or I got to draw my version of that? Um,
2: not yet. Um, we're only a few episodes in and uh, I'm still kind of acclimating to the style change because so much, uh, it's still that Bruce Timm style, but it is it is very different from uh, from the way everything else was in the previous series because uh, there's so much future tech and uh, and all that kind of stuff um we just did the mr. freeze episode and I I, I really liked mr. freeze's outfit I, I thought that was kind of a cool cool update uh, i I don't know cool. if I love it I don't know if I love it for him as a character but I, I like in the show it worked for me um, it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Kelly Jones's I uh, Mr. Freeze from the from the late nineties. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Just like the face
1: coming through the Yeah, where he's got yeah. that kind
2: of like he's a little bit more muscular and kind of big and he's it's very harshly lit inside the helmet and stuff. Yeah. I always I always like that, Mr. Freeze. Looks like Kane from Robocop 2. Is it true? Yeah, Robocop yes. 2. Yes. Kane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've always loved that.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I do want to uh, sort of derail here just because uh we haven't mentioned it yet and it's it's still fresh at the time we were recording this. Uh rest in peace to neil adams uh we just lost him two days ago as we're uh recording this uh so yeah that was a horrible
2: yeah i you know i've i i think i can speak for most people in the comics industry to say that i don't think a lot of us do what we do or how we do it without neil adams having been around um I, I have been uh, – I just bought a collection of the Danny Ketch 90s Ghost Rider, which was a, a big favorite of mine that I probably hadn't read in 30, 25, 30 years. And I was um, – I always loved Mark Teixeira's style. And I was I was reading those first issues, and I was looking at Teixeira's drawing, and I just finally put it together. It's was like, oh, he's got a lot of Neil Adams in him. He's got a lot of Neil Adams and Bill in in his art. And I think there's – so many, so many people that you can. Bill Sienkiewicz himself is a is a a direct descendant from Neil Adams. Frank yeah. Miller, yeah, direct descendant from Neil Adams. You know, he, yeah, he's, I, I
0: saw Bill Sienkiewicz tweet something, uh, you know, referring to Neil as his artistic father or something yeah,
2: like that. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think there's a handful of people it, since the the dawn of modern comics that you can call legitimate game changers and and neil adams is, is definitely one of them my when i was in college my, my teacher told me this great story um it was an interview with with uh, i think it was at a convention and and neil was at a table and he was drawing or whatever and somebody asked him why did you choose comics and and he gra- grabs a clean sheet of paper he dips his brush makes a big circle and he says see this i've just created a universe all the planets inside all the stars all the galaxies every every life form that exists here i've just created and then he dipped his brush again and put a big x through and he said and now i've destroyed it Hmm. and i was (laughs) that always stuck with me i was like yeah yeah i want the power of god that's what i I want (laughs) and
0: and it's not just his art itself uh that was his impact uh you know uh Obviously he created so much, he influenced so much of what has come after him, but also he did so much for artist rights and what, what can be expected now, like what, what they get for, for pay and, and crediting and keeping their own art, Leah, whereas the, the companies used to keep the art pages until Neil said, well, if, if you're not purchasing those pages for them, you better give them back.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Insane. Was it they,
1: was it an interview with – was it him who was being interviewed and he talked about how he was at, like, Marvel and someone's whole job all day was to shred original art because oh there was man. so much of it just in the back? Probably, yeah. And I remember as, thinking, like, holy shit.
2: As, as someone who has a lot of original art taking up a lot of inconvenient space in my closet, mm-hmm. I can understand it. But, again, my art isn't Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby pages, so – so it's a little bit different lost Nine. to time isn't yeah.
1: that just insane yeah
2: and he was uh very much uh
0: the conscience of the industry when it didn't maybe have the one that it needed to have uh like the way he viewed equality and getting past racial stereotypes like what when uh the green lantern john stewart was being created mm-hmm. you know, and it it was at his behest that they created this other Green Lantern, and like, well, no, don't just make him another white guy. You you should you should make make him a black character. And that when they were going to come up with the expected story that he was going to be this ex-con, who is no, don't make make him something respectable. Like make make yeah. him a, an yeah. an architect. You know, he he can be a just because he's a black man, he doesn't have to be an an ex-convict from the hood, and. When they were going to name him something like Lincoln Washington. He's like, No, you can't call him Lincoln Washington. And so it, like the the industry didn't have the barometer, the 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 moral compass that it needed to, and Neil was really providing that.
2: Yeah. Um Kevin Smith just did a big five hour episode compilation of all of the interviews that he did with Neil Adams yeah. over the years. <clears throat> and if for anyone who's listening, if you haven't listened to those, if you're, if you're interested in Neil Adams, listen to those interviews. Cause they're absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah. The, the, the first one he did on Batman on Batman is my, is one of my favorites, which was probably like 10 years ago now. Yeah. It's like, crazy. Yeah.
2: Amazing storyteller.
1: Yeah. yeah that's why it was so good. It's cause like you just hear him, his stories were just like, he's so, uh, the way he he emphasizes things and he's just i mean you you can understand why he's so good at what he does artistically cuz he knows how to tell a story and it comes across like amazingly
2: yeah yeah so. do you um do you remember those uh anti-allergy medicine commercials with the bee that had like the antonio uh, banderas type voice it was for like a flonase type thing vaguely uh his his company did those ads Oh yeah. no way. Yeah, he a did a lot continuity? of he did a lot of advertising stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, did a lot more than, than just comics. Yeah. 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 A and lot of was... um oh, I was just gonna say a lot of uh action figure card art was, was his, his mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, yeah, he, he did it all. And he was busting his
1: ass till oh, the man. end, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just like constantly on Instagram lives and stuff and you know, all that stuff, so
0: but, well, now that I uh, effectively brought everything down, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you guys want to talk about childhood trauma or
2: something? <laughs>
1: <All rolling. laughs> oh, man.
0: But uh, uh, I don't, we we covered uh, your story. We we told everyone to get off their asses and uh, pick up bloody hell if they haven't already. <laughs> uh, the, the Red Hood stuff is coming back, and we will have you back on when it is time for those books. Yeah, that would be great. Is there anything else we need to... Uh, to cover here before we uh, let Clay get back to real life,
1: <laughs> just go get bloody hell.
0: All right, well, we can leave it there and we can let you get back to real life. We do appreciate you doing this. It was great to finally uh, make this happen.
2: Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks so much. No, I, you no, know, thank Sean, you. Sean has nothing but good things to say about talking with you guys. So I was glad to uh, glad to finally finally meet all you.
0: Awesome. Well, man. very appreciated. I right, man. Well, everyone have a good night. Thanks for listening, and thank you Clay for doing this. And uh, we'll chat again soon.
2: Thanks, guys. Nice. Nice. Nice.